Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Drive Through FM. Uh, today we are moving back to just me in front of a microphone. My game room is a little bit of a mess. I did some reorganization and some cleaning and just some much needed attention. But today we've got a lot of topics to cover. So before I get into the reviews and as you probably have guessed from the title of the episode, my top 10 game mechanics, let's just do a little bit of housekeeping kind of stuff, some general information about what's been going on. Uh, recently, this has been a busy week. On Monday, a podcast dropped on the Dice Tower uh, with myself and Roy of the Spaces Between podcast. Uh, Roy also does, I think, most or all of the editing for many of the Dice Tower videos that you see. Uh, so Roy and I just kind of bantered back and forth and chit-chatted about a lot of different things, miniature painting. We talked a lot about Marvel Champions, which is just coming out, a bunch of other topics. Uh, so if you want to pop over to the Dice Tower and give a listen to that, it was nice to chat with Roy for about an hour. We actually bumped into each other at Gen Con earlier this year at Subway and had a nice chat uh, there as well. So uh, Roy's a fun guy. He's a good guy. And uh, I just had a nice time hanging out with him and chatting. And I think uh, folks will have some interest in some of the stuff we, we talked about. So that's the uh, Spaces Between podcast over on the Dice Tower. And then a couple of days ago, from the time of this podcast going live, I dropped a Kickstarter preview video for a new Kickstarter called The Honey Buzz. And this is from a company called Elf Creek Games. This is one of, I think it's the second or third game that they've released. I had a chance to play this uh, several times. I caught a demo of it at Gen Con earlier this year. They had actually backed my Kickstarter project earlier in the year uh, to actually get a preview video. So I was ecstatic that the game was a lot of fun and really interesting mechanics. Uh, so definitely head over to Kickstarter and search for Honey Buzz or take a look on the YouTube channel uh, for me and you can take a look at the preview video and there's a link to their Kickstarter project. Uh, really fun, innovative, uh, quick paced game, but there is a good, decent amount of strategy in the game as well. And there's some definitely you know unique things going on that I haven't really seen in what you'd probably call a Euro game. Uh, but yeah, definitely head over that way for more information and more details on that. And then I think yesterday, from the time that you will hear this podcast, uh, myself, uh, Rodney Smith from Watch It Played, uh, Jamie from The Secret Cabal, Marty from Rolling Dice and Taking Names, and Chaz from Paradise Paradise announced our this year's uh, tabletop showcase game, which is Catan Starfares. So there's a preview video over on Rodney's channel on Watch It Played. And he kind of gives a outline of that. Well, we all give outline. We all contributed to the teaser trailer video. And so we talk about what we're going to talk about next week from the time of this recording. Uh, so we're going to go through Catan Starfares. I'm going to be doing kind of a playthrough slash strategy video where we talk a lot of kind of the details through setup and uh, go through several turns. And so definitely look out for that. Rodney will be doing a how to play. Uh, Marty will be interviewing uh, Klaus Teuber and his son who helped to develop the new edition of the game. There's going to be a whole bunch of content uh, next week. And I'm really excited to see. I saw, I've seen some of the stuff that the, the fellows have come up with. So I'm excited to see the rest of it as well. And uh, Catan Starfare is definitely a recommend for me. Uh, I had never had the chance to play the, uh, the original game. Um, but it's kind of like a grail game for me, and uh, they definitely have made some updates and tweaks to the new edition. So uh, I definitely recommend the game and definitely recommend folks take a look at the content coming out next week to get a good sense of the game for yourselves and see if it's something that you might like. But I definitely recommend it. And then as far as other things, it's been a little while since I did a podcast just because of scheduling and stuff like that with Essen and Gen Con and uh, different things like that coming out. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I actually went to a convention called TokenCon in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, in the United States. And it's a very small convention, about 400 people this year. And I had a lot of fun. And it's definitely something I would recommend to folks if they're kind of living in that area. So if you live in kind of the North Texas, or maybe, I'm not, geography's a little hazy, but maybe Louisiana, Kansas, Missouri, Mississippi, Alabama, and all that kind of area around Oklahoma... And definitely, if you live in the Oklahoma City area, I would definitely recommend folks check it out. Uh, they had a lot of fun events and things. I talked on a couple of panels. I got a chance to play in a War Cry tournament, which was awesome. Uh, 
But yeah, I had an overall just a great time in Oklahoma City. I'd never been there before. And I really recommend folks uh, take a look at that if it's uh, convenient for you and local to you especially. So that's kind of the housekeeping part of it. Let's go ahead and jump into some reviews. These are going to be mostly bummers, <laughs> unfortunately. So let's try to be relatively efficient with our time here so we can get into the top 10 list. But I do want to cover these games because uh, some of these do have some merit. I'm Maybe I'm overselling how much of a bummer these are, but let's get through the first few. We'll kind of work our way up, as so to speak. Uh, the first game I want to talk about is Paris New Eden. This is from Matago, and this was on my top 10 most anticipated games from Essen. And it was largely a disappointment for me and also for the game group. Now, the production and the theme and everything is really well done. Uh, the art, the components, all that stuff. Just the general production is great. And if you're not familiar with the game, it's basically kind of a post-apocalyptic Paris and humanity's kind of trying to come back and it's a dice drafting game so you roll dice in these different locations and then you pull the dice to give you access to like various different type of workers and things but then you also get to take the action of the spot where you pull the dice from and you're basically like fulfilling orders so to speak at the end of the day you build up a certain variety of workers and you have different kinds of equipment for them and then you have different things where you try to like basically feed them or complete different tasks or objectives and things and then you're just kind of filling out orders and turning in for points at the end of the day and it was just after we played it it was like wow i just don't really this is just not doing anything that interesting or fun to us and it was like it was fine it wasn't like you know it wasn't broken or anything it just was kind of boring and so that was unfortunate because like i said the production's great and so it kind of belays the fact or belies the fact whatever the right word is uh you know what the actual gameplay is doing and the gameplay itself was just very dry it's just very very super dry and not interesting at all uh, and just really mathy and county as well. It's like, well, if I take this, I'll do that. Give me two minutes. Okay, I'll take this one. That's what I'm going to take. And then it was just around and around. And not really anything interesting or exciting. It's just, like I said, fulfilling orders, drafting dice, and just a you know a small little bit of a puzzle to ingest, but not really much of anything else going on. Uh, and that's Paris New Eden for Matigo. And the next game was also on my top 10 Essen most anticipated list. And this is from Gray Fox Game. This is War of the Worlds. And this is another one where I like the production quite a bit. Uh, the map itself is very interesting. So it's set based in the War of the Worlds like universe or based on that story of that novel. So it takes place in Britain. And the aliens are invading. One player is the aliens. The other player is you know the humans. And the aliens are invading from the north and kind of working their way down, kind of trying to kill all the civilians and the population. And the humans are scrambling together, uh, playing cards. It's a deck building game. So you have a starting deck of cards and you're, you're kind of bouncing back and forth between playing the cards to get troops out and activate your creatures and your troops and do damage. And then also using them to spend the money on the cards, so to speak, to get new cards into your deck and trying to trash cards. So it works fine. Again, it works fine. The production's great. I like the art. Uh, this edition that I had was like the retail version, which just had standees. And I think there was like a Kickstarter edition that had miniatures. I thought the standees were fine. Like they looked nice, you know, so I didn't really miss having the miniatures at all in the game. And, but the card play itself was, it got really redundant after a while because it's, it's sort of like I don't want to say pretends to be interesting, but it's sort of like it seems like it'll be interesting because the alien is trying to wipe off all of these like civilian cubes. There's cubes all over the map at the start of the game. They're just trying to basically destroy all of those cubes. And then the humans are just doing damage to the aliens. They can't really ever actually kill or just, you know, remove any of the alien things that get summoned, but they're just trying to do a certain amount, number of damage. Uh, but the, those walkers and UFOs and stuff will still keep, be coming forward. And so if whoever basically gets to their threshold first wins. So if they wipe out all the cubes, the aliens win. If they, if the humans do 30 damage points, I think, then they win before they get all the cubes wiped out. But the thing is, is the cards are just like move the alien or move the tank or move the, the battle carrier in the ocean and fire with it. And like, that's it. Like there's not really any deck manipulation 
things. Now, some of the cards you can play them and it'll say, like, do one damage. Or if you destroy the card, do two damage. So that's really the only kind of, like, card manipulation choice thing you have other than do I play the card or use the card to spend, you know, for getting new cards. Um, yeah, so there was no, like, you know, draw more card things or, like, you know, you know any kind of cool combos or effects or anything like that. It was just moving troops around and basically look at your hand and go, okay, well, maybe I'll spend a little bit and move these guys around. So the choices were just very, very, very minimal. Now, the one kind of interesting thing about it is, is you could actually hose yourself up if you, because there's nothing stopping you from like trashing a bunch of cards. And then you just have a very, 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 very small deck. And then you just don't really have any, you know, power in the deck. And you don't have enough money to spend to get more cards in your deck to get all the really cool, powerful cards. So there's an interesting balancing act there where you're trying to figure out when to burn the card for the extra punch, but then are you, you know, are you thinning your deck out too soon and too much? So that's an interesting bit. But just in terms of once you kind of get over that hump of, you know, maintaining a decently sized deck, but not too big, not too small, once you get over that hump, there's really nothing else to the game. And there's no funky funky deck building stuff. So if I compare this to like a few acres of snow or some other games like that, Mythotopia and some other sort of two player head to head dudes on a map, you know, fighting deck building games where there's a board and tactics and area control, this doesn't really have any of those sort of next level types of cards that you can pull off interesting combos with. It's just like, okay, I bought these cards. So now these cards are my deck and now I can move this tank or move this tripod from the aliens. And then now I can shoot with them. Now I can next turn I can move these guys and shoot with them, and I can move with these guys and shoot with them. And maybe I bought a card, and maybe I spent it. So there's not really anything else beyond that. That's all the cards do. So again, that's kind of a disappointment. Again, nice production. I really like the board on this one, the map. It was nice, and the artwork was great. But I really liked the the map was like very dark and looked, but it was it wasn't too dark. Like it was purposefully dark and interesting to look at and it was very sort of gloomy and there was a little bit of oppression and doom I thought with the way the map was drawn so that was really cool uh, but overall the gameplay was just like eh you know it was just didn't really get over that next hump for me to say yeah I recommend this game um, so that's War of the Worlds from Gray Fox Games and this next game is kind of teetering on disappointment to like I'm not really sure about this game and then the ones after this game will be more like, I think that's a good game, but ultimately maybe not something that I'm super interested in. But okay, so the next game is Cities Skyline. Now this is coming out from Cosmos. It's quite a different game for them. Now Cities Skyline is based on a video game, which is like a SimCity style game. You get it, you start with like a, almost nothing. You build up a small town and you get bigger and bigger and bigger so you get a large metropolis. And I never played the video game. I actually went and downloaded it. They had a sale on it. I got it for like three or four bucks. Super cheap. And so I, I kind of played around with it a little bit after I played it. And I played City Skyline now three times. And I was really trying to figure out if I liked it. And I think at the end of the day, I really don't recommend it for anything more than a solitaire game. And the solitaire game is actually pretty interesting. Um, and it's effectively the same game if you play with two or three or four players. I didn't play with four. I played with one, two, and three. And so here's the thing, though. So let me talk a little bit about the mechanics. So everything is card-driven. You just have a, three decks of cards. You've got like age one, age two, age three cards. You're dealt cards out of age one. But then from there, when you go to like draw new cards into your hand, you can pull out of the age two and age three. You probably don't want to pull out of age three until a little bit into the game, but there is a definite kind of balancing act in terms of drawing from age one or age two right from the beginning of the game. Uh, because you've got some more like support cards and things like that that are gonna sort of combo with other cards in between those two decks. So that's something you gotta do. And so when you play cards, they're usually gonna cost something that some other kind of card will make. So if you have like a utility, that's gonna cost you money. And so that you're gonna have like a pile of money sort of like in the kitty for the city, like the budget of the town. And so those will cost money, but then those will provide, you know, other resources for other kind of services. So you got like utility utilities, like your water, your power, your electric and all that kind of stuff. And then that's gonna power like hospitals and 
you know, uh, police stations and schools and all those kind of services. Then you have residential buildings and then you have some other kind of funky buildings that you can get in there. And as you draw cards to the deck, you're going to have like news events that happen and nine times out of 10, those are bad. And so that's going to kind of like change the rules of the game just a little bit and you have to deal with them and kind of work around them until they go away. Until you draw a new news event and stuff like that. And so each player also has a role that they're randomly given at the start of the game that'll give you a special power. So you're just constantly playing cards and it's really clean and simple and I like that. So it's like all you do on your turn is you play a card. Now the other thing you can do is you can actually like sort of stow a card away. You gotta pay for that. You gotta pay $2 to keep a card away. And what that means is like when you play a card on another turn, instead of drawing off the top of one of the decks, you can draw one of those cards that you stowed away and put it in your hand. So you might be like, well, this card's doing me nothing now. I can pay $2, keep it over here. So once I get some other buildings out on my turn, after I play a card, I'll draw that card that I stowed away and play that because now it's gonna combo with something. Cause when you play a card, a lot of the cards will like check which buildings are built. And then if they have like a certain configuration, you get like a bunch of extra money or something like that, or you'll be able to adjust like the crime level and the garbage level and kind of there's like a generic kind of happiness thing so all of these different types of cards utilities residential these different district cards you know the services they all kind of push and pull with each other and that's really kind of interesting because you're you're sort of trying to set up some infrastructure but then you're trying to get people you know in there and living in industrial zones going and then you're really trying to balance all of that and so the problem with the game is for me especially this is especially key at the larger player counts because okay here's the thing so in the single player game you have seven cards in your hand and then i don't have that off the top of my head but let's say in a three player game everybody has i think three or four cards in, in each of their hands but everybody plays with all their cards face up so you can always discuss what's going on and effectively it's like one large hand just kind of divided up between the players but you still have to play in turn order so let's say, so if it's three or four, let's say it's three cards in a three player game. So that's nine cards total. So you have a nine card hand effectively versus in a single player, you have a seven card hand. So you have some more options, but you're sort of forced to rigidly play them in a turn order, which kind of balances out the fact that you have more cards. Now the issue is uh, sometimes you will get into a situation where like, you're like, I need a friggin' hospital, or I need some kind of like medical service, or I need some other kind of utility or something. And that could be like the card at the bottom of the deck. And just because of the way the cards have come out, you're like, you really can get in a situation where you kind of get hemmed in. Because as you're filling up this space, like in a Tetris like grid, you know, you're running out of space, you're looking for things, you need to like get some combos and triggers and bonuses to push up. Uh, you know your happiness or get your sort of employment back in line and all this stuff so I'm, I'm throwing all these kind of buzzwords at you like employment crime rate all that stuff all of those like concepts are really well handled and really elegant it's it's something you can really ease into and the game actually kind of stages uh, scenarios and ads and cards I would say just if you get the game just jump in and play with everything because it's a little too basic without all the stuff going on but the thing is is like it's so dependent on the card draw to me and it's so dependent on like the player order too because like if i play a card and then draw a card i'm like everybody's like oh that's the one we need we have to now play if we're playing a four player game the next player the next player the next player and then me but it could be in such a situation that it's like well we can't we don't really want to do anything because you know that's the card we need so we have to like play these sort of weird cards off to the side and it's, it is part of the game. It is part of the strategy. It is something that you have to kind of learn. But for me, there's like a, there's a something missing in there in the balance of it to keep it fun and keep it interesting. So I don't know. This is one that I really kind of struggle with. Like it's a cool like solitaire puzzle. So I would, I would kind of, I would sort of recommend it for that. But if you're getting it to play with like a group and stuff, I don't know. It's just a little too frustrating a little too, you know, dependent on the card draw. And I wish there was like some other mechanism besides that, you know, I pay $2 and stow a card away thing. Cause you do that, you, you, you know, you store the card away, then you draw a new card and then it goes the next player's turn. Because it, that's, I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, but that $2 is super expensive. And so that to me is 
I don't know. I wish there was some that mechanic or something was like a little different, or you had like a once per game thing where you could like stow a card for free or something. Something in there to kind of just sort of balance it out because it's really it's really hard with the more players that you have. And it to me, like at the solitaire, that's that kind of good balance of okay, you know, maybe I got screwed a little bit by the card draw, but you know, you can kind of think to yourself, well, if I'd have done this earlier, that might have mitigated, and maybe that was a smarter play. So for me, it's just it, it's almost right at that nice sort of fine thread, but it just it kind of just barely falls short. Anyway, so that's Cities Skyline from Cosmos. Now these next three games, I would definitely put on the more favorable side. Uh, the first two that I'm going to talk about is something I, I probably don't recommend, but I think other people would probably recommend them. And I think, you know, some people would probably really like these next two games. So the first one is uh, Cooper Island, this new game coming out from uh, Capstone Games. And this is a really interesting mechanical game. And I don't want to get too much into the mechanical details here because just because it's just audio... It's much easier to kind of show you. And I think there's been a couple of videos out about it. I know Heavy Cardboard did like a, a how to play and a, like a playthrough. So I would kind of watch that if you want to get a better sense of the exact mechanics. But for me, where this one kind of falls short is it's really just a fantastically like numbing puzzle, which is great. Like it's really well like packed and designed and just crunchy. But then at the end of the game, I'm like, holy cow, like I did all of this work for I feel like nothing. And that's something that has been sort of a consistent theme with a lot of people that I've uh, talked to that I've played it with. And there's people though in my group that like it definitely more than me, but there's been other people that I kind of agree. It's like, yeah, it was cool and it was neat, but it's like, I didn't really feel like I was doing anything. The theme kind of drops away. And there's a lot of cool, interesting kind of crunchy things. So this is like one I would say, you know, try it before you buy it probably. And, you know, it does a lot of interesting, funky things that I I kind of feel like I want to pull out and put in other games. But it's just a smorgasbord of just weird, funky mechanics. And I was excited about that because the designer is the same designer as uh, Lagrangia, which came out few years ago maybe three four maybe five years ago and that's a game that really those mechanics i think really work well together and this one i mean they work they're balanced and they're designed well and it's just like at the end of the game it's just like i don't really understand what even happened you know like where what what are we even doing here and it just feels like like the most egregious like over the top baroque type of euro and I don't think like, I'm not gonna come down and say like, that's a negative thing and we shouldn't have games like that in this world or anything like that. Like, I think this this is a game for people that love to just sink their fangs into a nice crunchy meaty Euro. And I think a lot of people are gonna have fun with it. But for me, I was like, eh, it was just so like overwrought and all that stuff. It just so much for like, at the end of the game, I felt like I did nothing. Yeah, it's just a little too tight and fine and just not really what I want out of a game like this. But, you know, I kind of recommend folks give it a shot, you know, because you might you might actually like it and your, your group might actually like it. It's not it's definitely not bad. Anyway, so that is Cooper Island from Capstone Games. And the next game I'm going to talk about is Carnival of Monsters. It's a Richard Garfield game uh, published by Amigo. And this is a card drafting game. And it's a very interesting card drafting game where you just get a hand of cards and you're drafting them and you're trying to hunt monsters. So you're playing cards like in a tableau and a display in front of you and you're building up sort of like lands. Like if you think of magic, you have these different kind of resource cards that are different types. They're basically like lands in magic. And you build these up and once you get a certain threshold of them, then you can defeat certain types of monsters. And then there's like some monsters that are like more wild. I forget what they're called, like fantastical monsters or like psychedelic monsters, something like that. And then, you know, so you just do that and you play three rounds of it and there's, you know, cards. Sometimes you can keep a card and you can pay for it. And then, you know, you can play cards to get more money and, you know, that'll kind of get a little bit of your engine going. And then as you sort of play around and then you're going to have a certain number of monsters that you tried to like capture in front of you. And if you don't have enough like firepower, 
then you've got to roll some dice there to make up the difference, and then you might you know take a penalty if you can't quite uh, you know get all the combat abilities up to based on your cards and the dice roll to keep. And it's pretty chaotic and wild, but it's also like a lot of fun too. And I I really did like my play of it. And it would be something that I would have a hard time recommending to a lot of folks because it was really walking all over the place. But I like that about it. Um, but I don't know. I would play it again for sure. Like I'd play it a couple more times. Um, but I can see a lot of people being pretty frustrated with how the cards kind of play out. But there is some, you know, interesting stuff that you could kind of chew on and try to, you know, draft smartly and get yourself set up. But the weird thing is, is like it's like one giant deck of cards. There's no like staging or anything. It's a massive deck of cards. I think they're all unique-ish. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of variety and variability within that giant deck of cards. Uh, but that's kind of interesting too, because that gives you kind of like each play is going to be you know a lot different theoretically than the last play. And the order of, like, there's no, like, order. Like, when you're in the third round, it's not like you're getting at the harder monsters necessarily. You know, you might have them coming out uh, earlier on. And there'll be, like, an objective or some kind of rule change each round, too. And there's a deck of those cards to kind of change up what things are worth and, you know, what kind of the favored monster type is for that round and that kind of stuff. But it plays pretty quick. Uh, probably, I think it took us probably 45 minutes to play it. And it's pretty straightforward with the rules and it's just interesting and fun like it's it's a hard recommend but i had a lot of fun playing it and i would play it again and it's just kind of a wacky card drafting game and it's just kind of it's just pure card drafting just draft cards draft cards draft cards set up each round at the end of the round and score and figure out what you got and then that's it so definitely a try another try before you buy but overall you know i can definitely appreciate uh you know the design and stuff similar to cooper island uh with this one uh, carnival of monsters so we got one more game, and this one I really, really, really like. Now, it's been out for about four or five years, and I actually played it at TokenCon. Paul Burton, who's one of the organizers of TokenCon, taught it to me. It's a trick-taking game. It's called Skull King. Like I said, it's a few years old, and I really like this game, and I'm I'm kind of upset that I missed it <laughs> because now I'm going to go pick it up, and I, I've seen it on Amazon for like seven or ten bucks. And it's really a lot of fun. And it's just one of those trick-taking games that has a couple of little twists that just make it really, really fun. And there's a, there's a bidding aspect to it, which is something that, like, you know, sometimes I like in a trick-taking game, sometimes I don't. You know, sometimes you, you play a trick-taking game and people are bidding how many tricks they're going to take. And that's a hard thing if you've never played it. Uh, but this game seemed to kind of ease into it and still have some good meaty decisions in terms of like what you're bidding and what you're, you know, how you're trying to sort it out. And there's like m multiple like layers of trump cards. So you have different suits of cards and then you have like one that's better than the other. And they have some real kind of like power cards. So they're sort of like a teach you or some of those other kind of ladder climb games. You have some of those kind of bomb type cards in there too. And the way that those sort of stack up against each other is really interesting as well. But it's very elegant. Like, the rules are not complicated at all. Um, but I could see myself playing this uh, quite a bit. And so I'm, one of these days when I get a hankering, I'll probably pick it up cheap at Amazon or try to bop into the local store and see if they're carrying it. But it is a few years old, but I definitely uh, recommend Skull King. Um, and if I do, when I do pick it up, I'll certainly probably do a review of it, get a couple more plays in it and uh and do a review but for right now i definitely recommend folks take a look at skull king i just had a ton of fun with that one okay so let's take a little bit of a break and then we'll come back and talk about my top 10 game mechanics and i'll kind of explain when we come back how the list was made Okay, welcome back everybody. And now we're gonna get into our top 10 game mechanics. And so I actually had posted on the Board Game Geek Guild because uh, I was really struggling with a topic <laughs> for this week or this month. And I was like, ah, top 10 lists seem to work. And so I asked some folks for some ideas about a top 10 list. And actually uh, Richard Hamm of uh, Rotter Runs Throughs came up with this and I was like, oh, that sounds like a good one. 
So, and there's a lot of other good ones in that thread too, which I will be revisiting and pulling from, uh, you know, in the months to come. And so he basically said, do your top 10 game mechanics and then do your favorite game from each mechanic. So this will be ordered in my favorite mechanics. So it's ordered by the mechanic and not the game itself. So you might look at this, you will look at this and say, hey, isn't that game ranked higher on your top 50 uh, games of all time than the one that's above it? Well, yeah, but um, again, I've ordered it by the actual mechanic itself. And I thought it was kind of a fortuitous uh, suggestion because recently Board Game Geek actually revamped all of their uh, game mechanics section based on a book that had just come out from Jeff Engelstein, who used to be on the Ludology podcast, as well as having designed uh, several good games. And then also Isaac Shalev partnered with him, and they came up with a book called Building Blocks of Tabletop Game Design, which I still need to pick up. And I really want to pick it up and, and go through it. So what they did is sort of like a taxonomy of games, and they kind of they tried to just you know do all of, like I said like the title says a building blocks of game design and so they kind of you know build through that and they show examples of of various games that will meet these different criteria well board game geek has adopted that and sort of plugged that into their uh their database now one thing that I thought was interesting is I think that's still an in progress thing because some of these uh mechanics that I'll talk about I was like well how come this game is classified with this mechanic and not this other one too because there's this other game that's just like it but it has that mechanic associated with it so i think that's a little bit in progress and that's probably pretty user driven as well so i think it will take you know some time some probably some years actually before things get sort of you know settled as it were now i did want to do a couple of honorable mentions kind of because of that and that's kind of for a couple of reasons so the first honorable mention i will say is deduction now, not social deduction, but like just deduction. So you think of clue, like process of elimination. Um, there's a lot of games like this. And one of my favorite games of all time is Cryptid. And I did not see like deduction as a mechanic. And so I think that is a mechanic. It's not just a type of game. Whereas co-op was listed as a mechanic. I'm like, well, co-op's co kind of a mechanic. But isn't that more like a kind of game? Like a war game to me, or Euro game, or whatever. Co-op is a type of game, not really a mechanic. So it has co-op as a mechanic, but not deduction. And I was like, hmm, that's a bummer. Because deduction is one of my favorite uh, mechanics. I really like that, where you're trying to sort of, you know, figure out a mystery or a puzzle or something, or, you know, through the process of deduction. Encrypted, right now, would be my favorite of that kind of game. So I wanted to kind of give a special... Uh, plug to that and just two other games that I really like that kind of just barely kind of missed the cut um, now deck bag and pool building is a mechanic so deck building basically and for me that would be Thunderstone quest although that's not really a mechanic I like that that much like deck building it's kind of played itself out for me uh, but you know I still do like it once in a while so I would say I just wanted to kind of mention Thunderstone quest by my favorite kind of pure deck builder and then the other sort of honorable mention uh, has to do with tile placement, which I usually do not like. <laughs> this one, I drew, if it's like a tile placement game, uh, I just don't really like eh, tile placement. Like I just can't get into it. But Tigers and Euphrates is again one of my favorite games of all time, and to me, just blows. I think just about every tile placement game out of the water. So I just want to kind of do a kind of a quick honorable mentions there. But let's jump into. The top 10 list and i should before we get in the top 10 list i should say uh there will be a link to the building blocks of tabletop game design on amazon there i think you can get it in paperback and hardback and stuff so if you're interested in that book there's a, there'll be a link to it as well you don't have to go look for it so the first mechanic the number 10 is auction and bidding so my favorite kind of auction bidding game is modern art and i would say that probably is I don't know if it's like my favorite game with auction and bidding, but to me it's like when I say auction and bidding, I'm like modern art is the one that I would go right after. And if you watch my top 50 videos, you know that this game has been up and down in my life. Like when it, when I first played it, probably 15 years ago now, I loved it. We played it to death. We The group loved it. We played it all the time. And then probably going back, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, 
I started playing it at lunch at work, and then I absolutely hated it. I was so sick of it. But then I played it more recently in the last couple of years, and I really started to like it again. And so this is one that could be a lot pretty wild. People can make bids that are just really, you're like, what are you thinking? You know, what are you doing? You just threw my game off, but it maybe it makes sense that they bid it that way. Maybe it doesn't. And, you know, so it can be pretty wild and crazy, but it incorporates like all kinds of auction mechanics. So you have like a silent auction. You'll have just the random auction where you shout out values. You'll just have auctions where you go around the table and stuff like that. So it kind of mixes it all in there. So you get to play with all those mechanics. And because those mechanics all kind of sit next to each other, that for some reason makes it a lot more fun where it's like, okay, so I, I know based on the type of auction they did last turn, how they're behaving, but maybe they'll behave a little bit differently because now we're doing a silent auction. So having all that kind of stuff juxtaposed next to each other really does a cool, you know, makes a cool game, I think. Uh, so that's modern art. There's a bunch of different versions of modern art. You can get really cheap versions. You can get really blinged out fancy versions. And basically I'd say fine, it doesn't matter, get one. And maybe get one that has like artwork that you like because some of them have sort of incorporated uh, real modern art from real great artists and great painters. Anyway, so that's number 10, uh, modern art. Now, number nine, and this is a mechanic, it's called legacy game as a mechanic. But you might say to Joel, well, that's like co-op. Co-op is a type of game. Legacy is a type of game. And I say, yeah, legacy is a type of game, but I think legacy is also actually a mechanic because I mean you tear stuff up you destroy things you put stickers on the board um, but that I think is enough of a mechanic enough of a it does enough sort of invasiveness into the game to sort of disrupt the game that I think we can call the mechanic like it's a primal force in the game it's not just like sitting in a, in a pool of categories right it's not just sitting there swimming with all the other co-op games it still sits there and swims with all the legacy games but the act of doing it and when you sort of like go into legacy mode, you know, do you do it after you completed a full game of pandemic legacy or is it like mid game, you know, like you took over this territory. So, oh, pause the game, you know, reset, everybody make a decision, you know, oh God, what, what's the choice going to be for this player or that player that's going to change the face of the games to come. I think it, there's enough sort of, like I said, invasiveness into the play experience that you got to say, that's a mechanic. That's, that's triggering things that are going to happen, decisions that are going to be made. And so Legacy Game, anyway, is a mechanic, at least in my opinion. And for me, the best is a Pandemic Legacy. I'd say Season 1 or Season 2. I actually like Season 2 a little bit more. It's like Pandemic in reverse. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but the way it ended I thought was just brilliant. And it's, it's definitely riskier than Pandemic Legacy Season 1 which it's been long enough, I think uh, is basically like unlocking expansions over the course of multiple plays and then adding them to the game, which is fine. I thought it was great and I loved it. But season two was like, oh, was a bunch of curveballs, And it really was like just very, very Hollywoody type of ending, sort of. Uh, so I really liked how that one De deviated from the norm but again I think I'm probably in the minority with that and I still really did like season one obviously uh, but to me I think it's the pandemic series the seasons are kind of the epitome of this legacy uh, style format and it, you know not only is it kind of affecting your mechanical decisions but it's affecting the story and it's just a huge uh, impact in, in terms of like, you know, way the way that the events go and the choices. And you can really kind of see, it's very obvious that you can see, you know, you make a choice in game eight, and then you get around to game 10, and you're like, oh, well, if we would have chosen the other thing, this we know this would have worked out differently. You don't even have to go like peak or anything. You just know like, okay, well, because we did that, this is what we're dealing with. And, and so that feels rewarding. Maybe it's not great. You know, maybe it makes the game harder or something, but you still know, like you still have a, a, a you still have this like, certainty that like, okay, well we screwed that up <laughs> or we made a really good decision back then. And so I like that, that you, it gives you that knowledge and it may kind of make, kind of wears that on its sleeve, I guess a little bit, you could say. But anyway, that's number nine, legacy game, pandemic legacy. And then number eight, I would say is card drafting. And this is one that I used to really be into card drafting. I think a little bit less so recently, but for me, Blood Rage 
is my number one card drafting game. And that's because kind of of the rest of the game. Because it's a really just an area control style game, like a Chaos in the Old World, an El Grande, any of these real straightforward area control games. And where timing is very, very important in terms of like when you move your troops in and all that kind of stuff and positioning and all that basic area control stuff. The card drafting here is the element that comes in and sort of smashes all of those sort of, you know, tendencies of those kinds of games. And I just love it. And there's like, there's even like the Loki strategy where you can try to lose uh, regions and stuff. Now players have to know that that strategy exists or else somebody could really abuse it, which is fine. You know, the first time somebody does that, you start keeping those cards away from him. Uh, and so all of the variable special powers and stuff that you can get in the game with the cards that you draft and the cards will allow you to like recruit these giant gods and things like that to come in or these demonic kind of creatures to do things for you. It just really spices the game up and the card drafting is just kind of asserts itself uh, into the game. And it adds, it creates like a two-part game for each round. So you have the card drafting is very quiet. There's a lot of grumbling. And then you get into a lot of the action playing of the cards, you know, kind of playing the real combat of the game. And that's a very, the game just kind of erupts at that point and becomes very visceral and bloody and all that stuff. All right, so that's number eight, and that's Blood Rage. Now, number seven is a game we've already talked about today, and this is Trick Taking, and this is Skull King. Now, obviously, I need to play it again, <laughs> uh, but I, like I said, I was super enamored with Skull King, which I sort of reviewed just before this topic. But man, I really, really did enjoy this game. I was really blown away by it. And it has your basic trick-taking stuff, like you're playing spades or hearts. So it's it's definitely not a ladder-climbing game, but it has some flavor of that with these kind of special bomb card things going on. And it has a bidding thing, which is you know more prevalent in some of the more traditional trick-taking games where some of the more modern ones don't necessarily always have like a bidding aspect into it. And the bidding aspect is something I don't really always like. But in this particular case, like they do a really cool job with it. And trick-taking games are nice because, you know, at least in my experience, a lot of families that I've known, I, I would say probably actually, probably not most families that I've known, but enough that have played hearts and spades and cribbage and stuff like that, you know, at barbecues or, you know, family gatherings, that kind of thing. So these have enough kind of in common with that that you can bring these to those folks that have played that and be like, well, no, this is like playing hearts, but it's just a little different. We got a special deck of cards and here's the rules and they'll be able to pick themselves into it uh, pretty quickly. And so I've always like, I used to play hearts and stuff for, or spades or gin rummy uh, with my, my grandmother uh, years ago when I was little and she taught me how to play that kind of stuff and she kind of instilled for me a love of card games to be honest. And, um, so yeah, she, she loved them and she still plays bridge today. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I, this has like a, like a little bit of a sentimental tug for me, but I also like, again, you'll kind of see later on, I really like kind of card games. So as we move up this list, they'll, they'll kind of come into play again. Um, I like that sort of confined space of like, here's my hand. I got to work through this nightmare <laughs> that I was dealt, or, you know, maybe I've give, been given a golden hand and it's like, I better not screw this up. And so I like that kind of confined sort of visual space and you just kind of playing mental games, you know, the rest of the time trying to figure out, you know, what to do and when to do it and all that kind of stuff. But I really like Skull King. Another one I would probably throw out there that I played a ton, I would say is Dwarf King. That's funny. They both have King in the name. Uh, Dwarf King is a Bruno Fiduti game. I just throw that out there because that, that one I've played a ton. I still love to play it. That one is a way more wacky and off the rails, but it stays, it stays on the track somehow. Uh, Dwarfing, I did a video re review of that way back when. I haven't played it in a few months. Probably probably not a year, but it's been close to that long. Uh, but I definitely would recommend Skull King or Dwarf King for number seven, which is Trick Taking. Now number six is Real Time. And there's not a lot of Real Time games really out there. That's If you compared all the mechanics and the number of games that had a mechanic, Real Time was probably at the bottom of the list. But if it's real time and it's good, I really like it. It is a riot. It's a party, really, is what it is. And my favorite real time game is Captain Sonar. Uh, Captain Sonar is like two teams, usually of two or three players each. You could do four players each as well. 
and you are playing each a mini game and driving these subs, these submarines around and trying to blow each other out of the water. And you're trying to like listen to the commands that the other team is shouting out because you're going to say left and the guy's going to go left and then you're going to say right and the guy's going to go right. And the other one's trying to sort of figure out there's one player trying to figure out where you're where you could be based on that trying to do some deduction. The one is like trying to maintain, you know, like the the engine room and all that stuff and the other one's like loading torpedoes. And so there's like the captain in the middle kind of divvying out those commands and those orders. Uh, so this is a really, really neat game. And we've played it uh, quite a bit. It's been a little while since we played it at the group, but we played it quite a bit. And anytime anybody wants to play this, I'm like 100%, I'm all in on playing uh, Captain Sonar. Now, other games like this, like uh, Space Cadets, Space Cadets Dice Duel, right in there in that same kind of thing. Captain Sonar kind of replaced those for me. Um, but I definitely recommend Captain Sonar. I like, I you know, for some reason I hear a lot of people, and everybody can have their opinion, that's fine. A lot of people are like, I don't like that game, it's not a lot of fun. And for me, that, you know, a lot of times people say, well, I don't like Blood Rage because of this. I don't like Kalos because of this. I don't like to play miniature games because of this. 100% get it. When somebody tells me they don't like to play Captain Sonar, I'm like, hmm, really? <laughs> like, what's wrong with this game? But, you know, maybe people don't like, you know, being loud. That I get, I guess. But, man, there's like nothing that's not fun about Captain Sonar to me. Now, I don't own it as much as I'm, you know, acting like a goofball about it. It's not in my top 50. I don't have it. <laughs> so it probably would be. Uh, there's a guy in our group. I think there's two people in our group that have it. And if they bring it, I'm like, I'm in. But, uh, yeah, it's a really fun game. Oh, so that's number six of real time with uh, Captain Sonar. Great game. The number five, and this is, okay, the category is Trader Game. And it this game that I'm going to talk about also has like hidden roles. Because the Trader part is not really, it's very important. And the hidden role part is also very important. So to me those are kind of the same thing but i guess you could have hidden roles and not have a trader but why would you have hidden roles so that some of these mechanics like i said they don't it feels like they're, they're still kind of sorting through them a little bit and, and at least in terms of how they're applying them to uh and on board game geek because i think trader game and hidden roles for this game both apply and this is uh where words so this is like a werewolf a one night ultimate werewolf resistance i've talked about it a bunch on the channel the reason I like this is it's basically Werewolf, but you're doing this other game at the same time. You're trying to play 20 questions, or uh, the uh, what was the original game? There's a game from Oink Games called Insider, where you, everybody's trying to guess a word, but one person doesn't know the word, but you're trying to get, do it in such a way that they, they don't find the word. It's a little different here with Werewords, but you have like Werewolves who know the word, villagers who, who don't know it, but are trying to guess it from the mayor, and then if they guess the word, then the werewolves get to try to figure out who the seer is, who also knows the word, but is trying not to, you know, show that they know the word and all this stuff. So it's basically playing like One Night Ultimate Werewolf, but you have this, it's couched and it's sitting alongside this word game. So you get this other activity. So even if you don't like social deduction, you can still play in the word game. And then you have this other thing kind of like intruding on you. And I love that, that it's, you've got this other stuff going on. And it's not just lying and screaming and, you know, making a, a, a buffoon out of yourself trying to, you know, throw people off your scent or whatever or swap, you know, rolls around or use special abilities. It's like it's, an, it's, it's a game and there's another game sort of bolted onto it and it just re works really well uh, for werewords. And that's my number five trader game. And I'm not talking more about it because I always talk about werewords on this channel. So number four is, the, the category is campaign slash battle card driven. And so it's a card game. And so, but it has to do with stuff going on on the map. So Blood Rage, you could throw in that category because in Blood Rage, you draft the cards, but then you kind of play them and you drive, you know, your troops and your gods around to smash other players. And Twilight Struggle is one of those. It's not this game. All Twilight Struggle is another one that I would throw as a great example of this category, where you're playing cards, trying to influence, you know, different countries and stuff like that, based on if you're the Soviets or the U.S. My favorite is Combat Commander, and just that series. There's been like Combat Commander Europe, and Combat Commander Pacific and stuff. So just as a general uh, rule, Combat Commander that system to me is the best kind of campaign battle card driven thing because the cards in this game just do so much 
they dictate the outcome of combat and they have special abilities and they you can use them to sort of uh, there's like multi-use cards because you can kind of spend them in different ways and it leads to a very cinem- cinematic style of game uh, I feel very much like you can feel the smoke on the battlefield and the, the bullets ricocheting and that kind of thing that you often hear or some people talk about when they're playing these kind of squad level skirmish games. For me, this is the game that, you know, elicits all of those kind of feelings of a World War II, you know, squad level skirmish battle game. And I'd say, frankly, I would say just go watch my review of it. I talk a great length about it. And, uh, this there's something about cards that's the one thing i want to kind of mention here so there's been a couple of things we talked about card drafting we talked about trick taking and now we talked about this card campaign battle card driven you know card driven actions that have are sort of attached to a map and that's something i really like about that again that can confined space you know here's like your daily catastrophe here's your hand of cards work through this mess and then you know get through it and that's, you know, a lot of people like to play Magic the Gathering. I like that stuff. I like to play the new Marvel Champions LCG. You know, cards are just a great sort of vehicle for games. And, you know, they, they can be complex. They can be simple. They can be a lot of things. Um, but, yeah, so as far as card-driven, campaign, battle-driven stuff, to me, Combat Commander really just, like, goes for it and just goes to the complete extreme. Uh, of of that style of game and that's that's definitely my favorite of that kind of game so that's number four and then the number three here this is a weird one because the category is measurement movement so instead of like moving stuff based on a grid or hexes you're measuring you're using a you know measuring tape so basically i'm like well this is my favorite miniatures game (laughs) because measurement movement is like okay i'll talk about the mechanic in a minute but my favorite is warhammer age of sigmar which is a large scale, you know, battle. You take a six foot by four foot table. Each side has like a 2000 point relatively large army. Uh, other games like that are like, you know, Warhammer 40K. I like the Age of Sigmar stuff a little bit better. Um, you know, but you can also have like Kill Team or Warcry or Dead Zone or whatever kind of games, like old skirmish games, Imperial Assault, but that's not measurement, that's moving by a grid. So it's just a miniatures game where you actually use measurement movement. And to me, it's a sort of a fallacy, I think, because a lot of people are like, I don't want to measure. I don't want to measure inches. I don't want to measure, you know, with a measuring tape. I'd rather use templates. I'd rather use based on a grid or whatever. And because it's just much cleaner. It's just much this and that. And to me, like you lose so much, even even when you use a template, if you if you're using inches, because it, a lot of times with a template, like you have to move the full length of the template. And it makes sense, like in a game like Gaslands, where you're driving a car and you're like, you're going too fast. So you have to use the, the long template. You shouldn't have been driving that fast. Whereas with like a, a ground level game, like Warhammer Age of Sigmar, you know, you can move a tiny bit. You can kind of inch up a little bit or you can rush at them and charge at them and try to get in their face and screen off like a block off, like a little tunnel or a, a wedge or something, or, you know, get in front of an objective. Or you, know, you can creep around, you can stealth around and stuff. You can, you know, get little abilities to summon demons or whatever, and come those bring those down in different spots of the board. So you don't want to leave like big gaps on the board to have somebody ambush you or surprise you, and all that kind of stuff. And that's all because of measurement movement, because you you're measuring it to the inch. Now I understand some of the gripes of like, well, you know, did you move it an inch or did you move it an inch? and an eighth and it's like okay i understand we're not at a tournament (laughs) you don't have to play like that you know what i mean if you're in a tournament and people are playing like that then that's how they're going to be because you know you're going to have like three-dimensional terrain maybe that you crafted and so your model doesn't really sit 100 percent right like it's a little wobbly because it's standing on this rock because you moved your unit up and now you're in some rough terrain and the models aren't fitting perfectly and you know okay well where is the model is he here or is he half inch back there because that's going to make a difference in your charge length or something you know when you roll the dice to charge you know where's your model starting from understand that i mean it's not clean but i also think okay like who cares you know who cares um like just work it out with your opponent and be like okay we'll we agree that he's here at the edge of the rock i'll pick the model up i'm going to charge here in about three seconds anyway and so I charge and then, you know, we move it up and measure from there. Like it's not really ever a problem unless you're playing across the table from a butt <laughs> or you're the butt. 
So to me though, forget about the messiness of it. All of that very sort of fine-tuned tactical stuff. Now I'm not just talking about moving like eighths of inches and worrying about that stuff. I mean, that's just, that's annoying. You know, don't play with people like that. But worrying about the pockets and the empty stuff on the board and the range, the line of sight and all that stuff. And it's very more realistic, you know, it's visceral because it's like, well, you could see him through the tree or whatever, you know, like that kind of cool stuff is just a completely different experience in terms of gameplay. And I just really like that. It's very cinematic and everything to look at, obviously, when you got the painted miniatures. But really, the movement of these games is the game. You know, a lot of times you're like, well, you're just a bunch of rolling dice and stuff. Well, it's like, no, but you put yourself in harm's way. You know that this guy rolls and gets to reroll ones or whatever. So that kind of stuff comes into play. The games are usually won or lost with equally skilled players and balanced, you know, armies is going to be won or lost in that movement uh, part of the game. And to me, that's just a fascinating thing. It's just, that's what makes these games kind of replayable. And uh, it's always something to kind of revisit because you're going to throw different army lists at each other. And that's going to that's gonna change up how you should be moving around, you know? If you're playing with like two or three big hunking models that, you know, they cost you like a thousand points each in terms of like the build points that you build everything with, or you have like 130 little peon models and how you move with that and how you take up occupied board space. And so all of that kind of stuff makes it really interesting and fun. So anyway, that's number three, measurement movement. And my favorite currently is Warhammer Age of Sigmar. So we got two more left here. And number two is a worker placement. And this is probably obvious. Uh, my favorite worker placement is still Kalos. <laughs> it's my number two game, actually behind my favorite game, which is Warhammer Age of Sigmar, which you might say, well, that's weird. Well, I don't know. I like worker placement a lot. <laughs> worker placement is such, to me, like, uh, I don't know. It's just such an easy glove of a mechanic. You know, I know what's going on when there's worker placement. I think that it's that way for a lot of people. Like you got Agricola and Caverna and Stone Age and all kinds of games where it's just like, oh, I put my guy there and then I do what it says and then I get stuff and I get to do other things. And that's kind of fun. And you get to block other people. So you're not even just worried about what's happening for you, but what you're preventing somebody else uh, from getting. And you're trying to sort of combine those two, you know, purposes together. Uh, because sometimes, you know, is it better to go and block or is it better to do both? Or is it better to, you know, get the stuff that you really need before they block you and that kind of stuff? It's just such a easy, quick, and snappy mechanic. It's like, I take this, I got it, gun, next, go, place, 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 place. And there's been a lot of churn and iteration and innovation in terms of like combining worker placement with other mechanics. It combines really well with a lot of mechanics. I can think of a game last year called Underwater Cities where it was worker placement and you just combined it with card play, which we'll get to in a minute, but you kind of combine worker placement with this card action and that just adds on a lot of extra stuff. And so again, it kind of just really fits with a lot of different things. And to me, Kalos is still like the hallmark of it. And I've talked a lot about it and I talked a ton about it in my top 50 video series of all time. It's my number two game of all time. And I really just, I can't, I can't argue myself out of saying that there's a better pure kind of worker placement game uh, than Kalos. There's does a lot of stuff that I really like. The way that the theme works with the worker placement in the game, the way that the mechanics work, the way that you can kind of like not actually do where you put your worker sometimes is actually works really well. I would say definitely go uh, watch my review of Kalos or go watch my my top one through 10 video for my top 50 list. And I'll just go beat you over the head with why I like Kalos. Uh, but yeah, anyway, number two, work and placement. Really like Kalos. I talk so much about it. It's hard to repeat myself sometimes. Uh, yeah, so number two. Number one, my number one mechanic is hand management. Now, there does not exist on Board Game Geek a mechanic for multi-use cards. I think there should. Because hand management is one thing, because that's just, you manage a hand of cards. That happens in a lot of these games we've talked about. Blood Rage, hand management. You draft the cards, but you end up with the hand, you know, you play the cards. Trick taking, skulking, hand management. That counts. <laughs> uh, the campaign battle card driven combat commander. That's hand management. Now this one is for San Juan. Now San Juan specifically, because it is a multi-use card game. All you have in San Juan is cards that do one of two things. 
you either discard those cards to pay for another card in your hand to build it and it's now a building that does stuff it gives you other card draw abilities or lets you discard cards in different ways and then that's it so you have cards that can do two things basically in that or you have glory to rome where cards can do a bunch of things or lagrange which i mentioned earlier so not only do you just have a hand management like in, like if you have a trick taking game you have hand management but now you have cards that can do a couple things they do different things and the new marvel champions game is a good example of this i've got a hand of superhero cards i can't use all of them because i got to discard some of them to pay for it and so that just very very elegantly and abstractly sort of elicits the idea of resources without having to juggle resources or chits or anything like that that are managing how much money you have it's just an abstract like well we've got to build this uh flour mill today and we got to spend this money that we would have spent on building this office or this harbor but we're not going to do that so we're going to take the office and the harbor card and discard them and that is just very abstractly the money that you would have spent on those but instead you spend it on the flour mill so very easy straightforward mechanic but a lot of crunchy interesting decisions are based on it and san juan again talk to death but it's to me the most especially the second edition of san juan if you find the first edition ignore it get the second edition and it just there's a lot of replayability it's a lot like race for the galaxy if you've heard of that or played that and i expect most people will probably listening to this have played both but i like this san juan a little bit better it's just less complex i can play san juan with my family i don't have to explain, explain a bunch of icons uh, i find that i get the same amount of kind of crunchy satisfaction out of it i would say race for the galaxy Eh, I mean, you can probably argue it's better. It just has like a higher threshold. But once you hit like, and I've played Race of the Galaxy, honestly, way more than this. But once you hit 50 plays of it, it's like, okay, now I got it. Now when I go back and revisit San Juan, it's like, oh, it kind of is the same for me now. Because <laughs> I've gotten through the threshold and I don't have to like worry about explaining it to people now. So I'm just going to play San Juan because there's just about as many options. Not if you had every expansion to Race of the Galaxy. But, you know, there's a bunch of options in San Juan. It's like there's a bunch of strategies you can go do stuff. It's just a lot easier and straightforward to uh, to consume. So for me, hand management, like I said, it, this is also one that pairs with other mechanics. Like I just talked about um, uh, underwater cities, worker placement, hand management, right? Those are just married right together. Underwater cities is a fantastic game. Uh, but yeah, you can do hand management with all these kind of different things. I mean, if I look at my shelf now... And look at all the games that have like cards in them. We would say Airlines Europe, Ticket to Ride, you know, Imperial Settlers, London is another one that I would throw right up there. That's a pure hand management multi-use card game. Great Western Trail. It's got deck building. It's got hand management. Uh, brass. All the brass games. Hand management. Uh, Agricola is a good one. You know, Urban Sprawl, uh, Through the Ages, deck building games. Forbidden Stars got deck building in there. Uh, even Jaws, the new Jaws game, it's got a hand management idea, you know, in the second phase of that game. There's just so many things. There's a lot of, like, you know, you can combine it with a miniature game, like the Warhammer Underworld series. It's a little miniature skirmish game. You got cards, and that's helping you drive the game. All that decision space, again, packed into a little space. Imperial Assault, the skirmish game for that. You know, you've got a little hand of cards. You've got to go try to unlock terminals to get more cards into your hand and beef up your hand size, and that'll give you more options. So the hand management, you can really, you know, pair, like I said, with everything else. Anyway, so that is it. Um, so that's the podcast for November. Should get back onto a little bit of a regular track. I got some more games that I are coming down the pike to review. Uh, next week will be the Catan Starfares kind of playthrough and strategy video definitely take a look at all the tabletop showcase stuff coming out next week too and then from there i'll be at bggcon after next week so if you see me there say hello and uh we can chat for a bit and then those should be i don't know if I, I should be able to drop a video out before i leave for bggcon that might be dicey so i might you might get like an overwhelming wave of videos or something when i get back from bggcon because i know i'll play some games there i got a couple of games queued up uh that i'm not actually sure how much i like them but I, I do kind of like them, but I'm not going to say anything yet. And then, uh, so I might drop a video for one of those two games uh, before I leave. If not, it'll be probably when I get back. But anyway, everybody take care of themselves. Uh, if you live in the United States, have a nice Thanksgiving break. Hopefully you get enough of a break there uh, during that week. And if I see BGCon, definitely say hello. 
and uh, everybody take care. Thanks.